If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, we'll be in chapter 6 today, looking at a few verses together as we begin a new series called Pray for Seeds. As you turn in your Bibles there this morning, find your way there, I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in my crazy mixed up brain over the last few months. Around February, I started to pray and just seek God on behalf of our church and to kind of ask God a few questions that I felt like as the leader of the church, as the pastor, I needed some answers and I needed to kind of know how to move forward and how God expected me to lead in the next few days, in the next few months, and according to the things that we're facing in our culture. Because I do not believe um, that a church should run parallel to its culture. I believe that a church is to engage its culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as I started thinking about the state and condition of our world and the state and condition of our country and, and, and our church and on how those intersect right? And I know that Christians don't live in their little, you know, Christian bubble, um, though sometimes we, we try to. It's really an unrealistic kind of idea to think that a, that a Christian would live in their little Christian bubble. And yet sometimes as I listen to uh, sermons and, and read Christian books and all of that stuff, and in fact, I, I've listened to two sermons already this morning, <laughs> and so um, starting at about seven o'clock today. So, um, Sometimes when I, when I do that, I, I kind of see that preachers, people that do what I do for a living, that we, we kind of tell the Bible stories as if they're kind of isolated little stories in, in, in history that don't have extensions and applications outside of those stories. We just tell the story and find a little example of maybe something good that they, the characters did in the story or find a moral or an ethical application or a spiritual application or a theological application. And we just kind of, but we stay kind of in this area of just we Christians. So it's kind of in-house discussions. And I don't think that that's really what Jesus had intended with the gospel is just to have in-house discussions. Now I know as a family, sometimes we have those discussions, right? They're, they're family dinners, they're family meetings, we used to call them in our home. And so I know that sometimes there's in-house matters. But a lot of those in-house matters pertain to things that go on outside, like how the children behave at school, or how we operate at work, or how we relate to our neighbors, and those kinds of things. So as I started thinking about our church, and I started thinking about you specifically, and praying about our church, and different people that, that, are, that are part of our, our community, I started to ask God, so Lord, how are we moving forward? And as I began to pray that way, and Lord, how do we move forward and interact with, with society, and we don't want church worship services to become this idea that you can, you know, shut out the world and just come to church, that's impossible, no, it's like, let's come to church and figure out how we're supposed to live out there, <laughs> that's really what, what we should, should be doing. So, um, I know a lot of pastors try to, including myself, we try to stay away from a lot of the politics and a lot of the things but we, can't, we have to engage um, what I'm calling the, the moral and philosophical and theological underpinnings of what we see. So when I talk about things that are going on in our world, sometimes you and I disagree. Sometimes you and I see it as, you know, um, maybe a little differently with, with the way that we vote or who we support or something like that. I don't feel like my role as a pastor is to tell you who to vote for. But my, my role as a pastor is to help you understand the philosophical and the theological underpinnings of the things that you're being told. I do believe that I'm supposed to, to be doing that. 
So as I began to pray about that and how we move forward, oddly enough, um, a weird, funny little analogy came back to, to my remembrance, one that maybe you're familiar with. But in the church world, um, I was told by older preachers that when it comes time to change something going on in your church, the saying is, you don't want to change too fast, right? You don't want to turn the apple cart too fast or all your apples will fall out. In other words, if you change the church too soon or too fast, all of your members are going to leave or you're going to leave people behind, right? I know some type of leaders, some lead from in front, some in the middle, some behind and they're kind of driving leaders. I tend to lead from out front. And sometimes leaders that lead like I do, we leave people behind, we start assuming you know things, we start out with agendas, we start out with ideas, and we can kind of get a little ahead, and we need to be reminded, hey, back up and bring people with you, right? So um, this idea of this apple cart kind of thing, right? Don't change the church too fast, you'll lose all your apples. Somebody else came along and kind of took that little analogy and kind of gave me another little analogy. They said, it's not how many apples you have in the cart, but how many seeds are in the apples, and I started thinking about that a little bit, and I thought, well, that's interesting, because if all you have is a cart full of apples without any seeds, are you going to have any more apples? No. <laughs> Those apples are either going to get consumed or used for some sort of purpose, or they're just going to rot away, right? But if you have apples with seeds, now you have the ability to grow, to, to um, generate and transfer life, because that's what seeds do, right? Seeds generate and transfer life and growth. And so I started thinking about this, and, and as I began to pray about this all the way back in February, um, on, on good days when, when I was encouraged about the church, I'm like, Lord, look at all these people with seeds. And I start thinking about the ministry that some of you have done in the life that you've given other people and how you've given wise counsel and advice and, and encouragement and prayer. And you've, you've brought other people into relationship with Jesus and you've made huge sacrifices so that we can have a church. And I've started thinking on all of these things that look at these seeds in these people. There are people in this church, the retreat church, who are full and overflowing with seeds and they are giving life to other people. Those were good days. Some days I would get alone with the Lord and I would say, I'm pastoring a seedless church. I have a bunch of apples just showing up and rotting away. That was on bad days. <laughs> and as I kind of wrestled with that, I would get alone with God and, and sometimes my bad days would be, Lord, I don't have any seeds in me. What am I even doing? Oh, what's happening here? <laughs> right? Maybe I'm a seedless apple. And so on good days, I was excited about the seeds that are in you and your ability to get with the Lord and to generate and to transfer life into other people. So I'm thinking about that. And then so as I began to pray about this with this analogy, and remember this was back in February, so this has been cooking in my brain for a while, just being alone with the Lord, spending time with Him praying this through. I began a journey through the scriptures where I just went and got my Bible concordance and I started looking up all of these different passages that use the word seed and seeds and anything related to that like sowing and reaping and harvest and planting. And I just went throughout the scriptures and I started discovering all of these things about seeds. And as I began to discover these things about seeds, I began to see how key this is. In, all throughout scripture 
And as I began to study the scriptures and sit alone with God, I really believe that the Lord started saying, you need to pray for seeds. Okay. What does that mean, pray for seeds? And this morning when you came in, you may have seen a poster in the foyer that says pray for seeds, and you may have seen stickers that are at the little tables which I want you to take that say pray for seeds on them. And last Friday, a meeting, we had a leadership meeting at Stephanie's house, and I did a whole PowerPoint presentation on what it means to pray for seeds. And over the next five weeks, we're going to have this series called Pray for Seeds. And my intended goal in this series is to help you understand the journey that I've been on with God in aligning my prayer with what He's doing in the church. Because for me, it's become something that is eliminating distractions. It's guiding me into prayer. And so when I, when I sit with you and I counsel you or, or, or we're involved in some mission of the church or mission of your personal life, in the background of my mind over the last several months, I've been just praying, Lord, generate and transfer life into this person. So when you talk to me about your marriages, Lord, generate life into their marriage. Give them new purpose, new life, new energy. When people don't know Jesus and they're spiritually dead, I pray that God would regenerate life into their hearts. And as I began to look at this, the Old Testament kind of revealed a couple things that I think are key at the outset of this series, and it is this, that seeds were fundamental to life in an agricultural society that the Old Testament lived in. If you didn't have seeds, you didn't have a home, you didn't have a community, you didn't have a civilization, you, 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 were, you could not be sustained and so in their culture, they knew that, and so they understood seeds as a blessing. So if they had seed to sow, and eventually, in the hope of eventually reaping a harvest, they believed that they were wealthy and blessed by God. But if they didn't have seed, then they believed that they were cursed by God, and that something had gone terribly wrong in their families, in their cities, and there was no harvest, there was no life. I started to look at that and think about that. I started to think, Lord, are we cursed by you or blessed by you? And I said, Lord, I want our church to be blessed by you. Lord, I want you to give within each person and each family. I want you to plant your seeds into their hearts and in their minds so that new life would generate within them and they would be able to then transfer that life. Because by the time we get to the New Testament, you start hearing Jesus take this literal use of seeds and you begin to use it figuratively. So in a very literal sense, in the Old Testament, they had the seeds, they sowed the seeds, they reaped the harvest, they survived as a society, they had food to eat, they were sustained. But Jesus then takes this and he starts to use this in all different figurative ways. Then he starts to talk about the seed of your faith. And though it is small like a mustard seed, it can grow big. <laughs> he started to talk about the Word of God as seed and the parable of the sower as he went and, and the Word of God was sowed into the hearts of men and women and some produced much and some was taken away. He started talking about the kingdom of God like a seed, that it is put in the ground and then it grows. He started talking about his own life as a seed. When he said that you know that unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it, it doesn't produce life. But that's how a seed produces life, that it goes into the ground and that it dies and it produces life. He, that's what he talked about himself, that his body, that he would be put in the ground and that he would die and that he would raise from the dead and that he would get life. He started talking about the seed as the movement of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. 
and in and through the church, all through the book of Acts. And all through the New Testament, you see seed as this figurative language of everything that God seemed to be doing related to seeds. Your faith, His Word, the move of the Holy Spirit, His kingdom, His death and resurrection. It was all used with this analogy of seeds. So I gathered the leaders and I said, this is going to be our new way to pray going forward. We're simply going to do this. We're going to pray for seeds continually through everything. Before every worship service, before every event, we're praying that for whatever we have going on at our church, that it would be full of the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, be under the rule and reign of God's kingdom, will be based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and all of that will happen and shape how we go forward. And then this becomes key part of the prayer, is that you would pray that God would place His seeds within you so that you can give life to other people. Because we are living in a culture that has no interest in spreading life, but has an interest in gaining power. And something happens. I was talking to a friend of mine last night about this. I said, there is an evil present within power that causes the human mind to shut down and forget anything rational. That we are so dead set on, on power and influence that we have fallen to this evil of spreading anger and hate. And that is all we're getting, no matter what, I don't care what you believe politically, I don't care what news outlets you listen to or read or, or watch. It is anger, it is bitterness, it is deceit, and it is seeking power. But the church is called to something else. The church is called to engage that world with the generation and transfer of life from God. That's what you and I are supposed to be bringing to the table. And so, with this in mind, I want to talk to you this morning by way of introdu introducing the series to you with this one thought. That through us, God will generate and transfer life and growth. Through us as a church community, through the retreat church. Through you. That's God's plan for you. That's God's plan is to take you in your circle of influence, in your family, in your workplace, and God's intended goal is to use you to generate new life in other people and to transfer the life that he's given you into them. That's your job. Your job as a Christian is not to get Washington to change laws. Your job as a Christian is not to, put, to persuade somebody to vote like you vote. Your job is to bring life into those around you. The life of the gospel. So with that in mind, let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And we'll ask you to camp there with your Bible. There'll be a couple other um, verses on the screen for your consideration. But the first thing we come to understand when you look at this, let's read this um, verses 7 through 10 in their entirety for a moment. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. For the, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let each of us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household 
of faith. When I considered this text this morning, or this week, I didn't start writing this sermon this morning. That would be ridiculous. Um, I start this process on Tuesdays. The first thing that I came away from is this, that general principle. The general principle of sowing and reaping, and we see it this way, that life and growth are transferred through sowing and reaping. That's the process. Now, I know some people are getting really confused in our world today, and they keep thinking that Christians believe in karma. We do not believe in karma. And in my family, we've called her Carmen. We don't believe in Carmen. She has nothing to do with us. For those of you that don't know, karma is an Eastern spiritual idea that comes from this notion of pantheism, which God is this life force and in everything, and you sow good into the life force, and the life force gives you good back. No. No. Karma is not a biblical idea, though it... It's kind of close. I'm not saying it's a bad one. It's just the foundation is weird. The foundation is that God is just kind of the trees and the grass and the, the ocean. And God is in the, you know, the mountain lions and in the tigers and all of those things. That God is in this metal little music stand and it's this force. And that when you die, you get absorbed into this force and become one with, no, that's not Christianity, right? <laughs> that's something foreign, that's something else. But this idea, this general principle starts out with, it says, Do not, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Your life will be a direct result of what you put into it. What you put in is what's going to come out. And so right now, I'm a firm believer, I've been saying this for years, my life my current position in life is a direct result of the choices that I've made in my life. Now, you might ask, well, haven't you been the victim of anything? Has anything happened to you that wasn't based on your choice? Yes, but I'm right here today doing the things I've done because how I've chosen to respond to those things. So my life, my marriage, my career, my financial position, my mental well-being, my psychological well-being, all of that is a result of my choices that I've made in life. And so is yours. And so is our church. When someone says, well, how did your church get like that? Either negatively or, or positively. So whatever is good is going through our church, it is a direct result of the choices that we've made. And whatever negative we look at our church and go, I don't like that too much. Well, that is a direct result of the choices that we've made. And so I believe that every family, every individual, every church, every organization, their current position is based upon the choices that they've made. And if you don't like your current position, current position in life, that means you've probably made some poor choices. And if you, have, if you like your current position in life, you've probably done well. Now notice it says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. We'll see that whole process there is that God, I can get out of God what I want without obeying him. No. <laughs> no. I was reminded of this morning of one of the sermons that I listened to today that Christianity is not Jesus following you, it's you following him. But many have given up on their faith and rejected Christianity because Jesus didn't follow them. Jesus didn't do what they thought he should do. Jesus didn't get in line with their program, and so now they're leaving. But he says, do not be mocked. What you sow, you will also reap. Notice this quote from the Wesley Bible Commentary written by Wilbur Dayton. He says this, Next slide, please. Man's inescapable burden is choice that fixes destiny and reward. 
This is a warning against evil. It is also a tremendous incentive to faithfulness and generosity in Christian living. So this whole thing of sowing and reaping, this basic principle, is, is a warning against evil, that if you sow evil, evil you will receive. If you sow to your flesh, if all you're doing is trying to appease your natural inclinations and appetites, and you think that Christianity is about getting all of those things, well, then that's what you're going to get. But that's going to lead to death. But if you sow into the Holy Spirit, you will receive life. A second observation beyond the basic principle laid out in the text in verse 7 is verse 8, which helps us understand that motive determines outcome. It's not just our actions. It's our motive behind the actions. Before we even go do the action itself or make the choice itself, that which motivates us. Notice verse 8 says this. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap the Spirit, will reap from the Spirit, reap eternal life. So I'm asking you a few questions at this point. The first question I want to ask you this morning in regards to this verse is this What are you trying to attain by being a Christian? What, what, what are you trying to get out of this? So you decided to be a follower of Jesus. Amazing. I love that. That's great. What are you trying to get? What do, you, what do you want? Jesus often asks that question. He once asked a woman, he said, what can I do for you? Oh, Jesus, what, what, do you, what do you need me to do for you? What are you, what are you hoping to get out of this, this relationship? Many relationships, many unhealthy relationships are based upon some sort of exchange. I give you this, you give me that. That's kind of how many of you go to work. You go to work and you work for that business or that, in that enterprise because they pay you decent, give you an ability to do the things that you want to do, and then they'll, they'll pay you for it, they'll give you nice benefits, and you'll have a nice retirement plan. And so, and, but in the meantime, you're offering them the use of your skills so that they can make money, because they're the business owner and they're not in it for your benefit, they're in it for their own. And as long as you're making them money, you'll keep your job, and as long as you're getting what you want, you'll let them have your hard work until another company comes along and offers you more money or better, better benefits or a shorter commute, right? And so the exchange. Because we live so much of our life at work in that kind of exchange, that kind of thing bleeds over into relationships. So we get married and we give, I'll give you this, you give me that, and when you stop giving me that, I'm going to stop giving you this, and then we'll sign the papers and be done with it. We do that with church. We'll go, we'll church shop, which I don't know what that means. Okay? Um, it's, it's weird. So we'll, we'll go to a church, and if the pastor gives me what I, what I want, and the church setup is what I want, and it looks and sounds like I want, then I'll bless you with my attendance. And I might throw a little bit of money in the plate to support the thing, but you have to keep doing and giving me what I want. And when somebody else... Another church can give me what I want in a little better package or a little more convenient kind of way of doing it. I'll go over there. And as soon as you stop giving me what I want, I'll stop coming here. And it's this exchange kind of thing. And then we do that with God, right? I'll sign up for this. I'll become a Christian as long as you give me what I want. And really what that want is the satisfaction of your own flesh, that somehow 
your natural inclinations and appetites that come to you and arise within you because you're a human person, and we all have those, that you just think that God is the way to get those. And you've, Christianity has become convenient for you because you can use God to get like kind of what you want, but then when he doesn't, then and forget that. And so we have a lot of people leaving Jesus and leaving their faith in Jesus because Jesus did not help them satisfy the desires of their flesh. And so their relationship crumbled. So the question then also is, what are you intending to get out of life? I'll leave you with that one. One more question that I'll leave you on without, before we move on is this, what do you want out of this church? What, what, why are you in relationship with me? Why have you allowed me? I look at this as this way. You've allowed me to be your pastor. Right? It's, I'm your pastor because you've allowed me to. Okay? So what, what are you hoping to get out of this deal? Right? It's an interesting question. What are you hoping to gain? Why, why are you part of this church? What are you hoping to like, get from that? Huh. It's an interesting question. I, maybe I should have you all fill out a survey. I hope that somewhere in that, because I hope you are getting God's word. I, I know what I'm supposed to give you. <laughs> I don't know if what I'm supposed to give you is the same thing that you're wanting to get. That might be a whole different series of, of things or, or discussion. But I've read the job description in the pastoral epistles. I have the job description in the Church of the Nazarene Manual, and I'm doing my very best to give you what is required of me, and I've set people around me to hold me accountable to doing that. So that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to bring to the table as part of this arrangement that you and I have. But this question of what do you hope to gain, I, I hope that somewhere in that you're considering what you have to give. I hope that somewhere in that you're part of this community because God has called you to contribute according to your unique set of gifts, talents, and abilities. That your personality and your gifts and your experience and everything that makes you wonderful and beautiful and amazing, that you're going to come and contribute that here. I hope that that's part of the deal because if you and I decide that I'm going to fulfill my job description based on the scriptures and you're going to feel, fulfill your job description as, as, as a Christian full of the Holy Spirit, bringing the fruit of the Spirit in the place, can you imagine we all just show up here bringing life to one another, right? We all show up here exercising the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, without which there is no law, right? So we, if we just showed up it would say, get up on Sunday morning. I can't wait to get down to the church. I'll get myself a cup of coffee. I'll get myself a little piece of whatever. And then I will love people. And I'll be patient with people. I can't wait to show up and just be patient with them. I can't wait to show up and just give them peace and comfort and provide that for each other. Exercise the fruit of the Spirit. Regenerating and transferring life. That's why we show up. I hope that's part of it. I believe it is. Or I else would so many of you serve so much and give so much. Many of you do, beyond expectation. It's moving forward in the text, we also begin to see in verse 9 that life and growth are transmitted in due season. Now that's a tough one for me when I read this passage because verse 9 says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Doing good makes you weary, doesn't it? Makes you tired. All these good things we're supposed to run around and go do. Joe was here cutting the grass yesterday. That's a lot of grass. I 
It's a lot of grass. We had a bunch of stuff. Our, our, our fellowship hall looked like a thrift store this week. And one of the ladies at the preschool said, hey, pastor, do you think you can get this cleaned up by Monday? <laughs> I looked at her kind of giggled. I said, that's not my deal. And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, we have these people at our church are called trustees. They manage this whole place. I don't manage who cuts the grass. I don't manage who cleans the carpet. I don't manage who changes the light bulbs. I don't manage who fixes the toilets. I don't manage any of that. And her eyes got this big as though it was news that a pastor didn't do that. I said, so I don't know who's taking care of this mess, but I'm sure it'll be done somehow. We have responsible people around here. And it's done, isn't it? It's nice. I don't know what color the cabinets are getting painted. Don't care. Not my deal. Not my place. Not part of my job description. I'll just enjoy it because other wonderful people make it happen. And you don't have to do this, by the way. But, though you may do a better job. So life and growth are transmitted in due season. So he says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. (sighs) So I can't grow weary and I can't give up. Okay, how many of us have been tempted to give up lately? Right? As I told the church, uh, church leadership, I think I've said it before in here too, but I told the church leadership last Friday, I said, 30% of the time a pastor shows up on Sunday mornings, he or she does not want to be there. 30%, three out of 10, he or she shows up and goes, man, I'd rather be at the beach. In my case, I'd rather be on my mountain bike which, by the way, fell off the back of my truck on Monday, and it was gone for two days, and I thought I was going to have to buy another one, and yes, it was the most expensive of the one of the three that I have, and thank you, Jesus, that the camp host of Heart Bar Campground found it laying in the dirt up there and called the bike shop that had the sticker on it. Got her back, and then went and bought a brand new rack, because that thing is not coming off again. Yes, I would have bought a new one, I know, but I saved money and didn't have to, didn't do that. But this idea of growing, this, this warning here, and for, for many years, I, when we moved, I think we lost it uh, somehow. I don't, I don't know what happened to it, but for many years, uh, when we lived up in Victorville, Susan took this verse and she framed it when we planted the church. We used to pastor a church called the Well of the High Desert, and we planted that church, and it was a struggle, and it was hard, and, and we, you know, to start that, that church, um, it was a, it was an independent church with two other families, um, this isn't like the brag, this is just kind of the, the point. But, but to start that church, Susan and I had to take $50,000 of our own money and use that to make it possible for us to do that. So we invested that, right? And not, not that it went into the church bank account, but we had to do some things with $50,000 from a sale of a home to make that possible for us to start that church because it was us and two families, right? So when things got challenging and things got hard, Susan took this verse and she put it in a frame and put it on our mantle and she says, we cannot give up. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says this, and I believe it's on the screen. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. of the time when a pastor doesn't want to show up and they show up and they preach and they do everything that they're supposed to do and they get back in their car and they start to drive home and they go, did that matter? And I know sometimes when you're serving in the church, you show up and you cut the grass on Saturday or you 
do whatever else you do around here and you're like, does anybody give a hoot? <laughs> or anything else you can put in that blank? Does, does this matter? Is anybody's life going to change because we're doing this? See, verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15 says our labor is not in vain, so we must remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God. That's our task. So then finally in verse 10, we read this. In verse 10, look at that in your Bible. I've got to rearrange my notes. Verse 10. So then, so he gives you the general principle in verse 17, walks you through the text, and then verse 10, he says, so then, as we have opportunity. Now, this is beautiful, because what I told the church leadership, as I said, I'm not adding to your to-do list. Your to-do list is long enough, and I know that you have a to-do list at home, and you have all of these things that you have going on in your life. So this is not a, another thing on the to-do list. This is as you have opportunity, as things come your way, as God leads and guides you, as you're going about your day. This idea of as you have opportunity is kind of part of when Jesus gave the Great Commission. And he says, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word go there is meaning as you go, as you're doing what you do. As you're going shopping and you're working and you're cutting the lawn and you're fixing your car and you're going to the grocery and you're doing all these things, as you're going, make disciples. So as, as you have opportunity, as God brings things into your life and people into your life, do good to everyone. Now this particular phrase struck home with me this week. And I think I, maybe this week I, I may have read too many things or, or uh, watched too much news. I, I, I think I might have made that mistake this week. I, I watched five minutes of news and I think I watched too much. No, I don't, I don't know how much I watched. But, I, but, but this kind of got me a little sideways. This, let's, let us do good to everyone. And I started thinking about that. And I thought the Bible is brilliant. In one little phrase, in one little verse, the Bible solves a big part of our problem. Do good to everyone. <laughs> everyone. Well, what about if they have more money than me or less money than me? Everyone. What if they're a different skin color than me? Everyone. What about if they speak a different language? Everyone. What about if they're here and they're not supposed to be here? Everyone. What if they're mean to me? Everyone. <laughs> what if they vote differently than me? Everyone. Everyone. Do good to everyone.